this morning's message is going to be teaching again on stumbling, stumbling blocks. And it's stumbling blocks impediments to holiness. Because Peter, as Peter told us, to pursue holiness. And we have to realize what stumbling blocks are. And of stumbling, we have to enter into the warfare that's going on by being born again, how we engage in the warfare. So as the world turns, as the world goes on, we realize that only some can see into the others. It's as the times of Noah you can be religious, which was tons of religions during the times of Noah. I didn't, we are reading different statistics and things of how many millions of people may have been on the earth during the times of Noah. And that what happened was that if you look at technology, the Bible tells us technology of being an increased. You have so many websites, so many people teaching out of their homes, non-structured churches or whatever. You have so much religious stuff out there that it could cause dullness of hearing. It could cause stumbling. It couldn't cause being lost. So that thus the scarcity of people being saved, and you can see where Households could be divided and things being divided. But can you see God working with his people? Isaiah 57 and 14 is where it's coming from. It says, and it will be said, build up, build up, clear the way. Remove the stumbling block out of the way of the spiritual return of my people. Of the spiritual return of my people. So God's going to be blessing. There's going to be spiritual and physical blessings, but just because you receive a physical blessing doesn't mean that that may not become an impediment or something that cause you to stumble. Uh, sometime when you get money and you was talking about the Lord had blessed you, and that's why you pray about the use of your finances and what do you do with your money because money can be become a cause of stumbling. Yes. I was looking at TV the other day and they had an advertisement, some 70-year-old guy talking about the golden bachelor or something or whatever. Well, I don't think if you're a millionaire, I don't know how, how long you had been a millionaire, but I, I don't think if you hadn't found love at that age, it would be hard to find love. You know, it, it, you may deal in what the world doing and so many people that's followers or watch stuff like that. You may deal in prostitution or gold diggers or something because I I don't think the majority of the women that's following or looking for him may be looking or interested in him. It may be his money. A lot of people, if they don't marry before they become wealthy or whatever, it's going to be hard to tell. And that's why so many movie stars or rich people have divorces or whatever, because are you marrying me or are you marrying my money or what? what is it, you know? That's why actors and movie stars and everything, they get into certain characters or whatever, and that character is not that individual. You leave that individual behind. Yes. So when God says, Move the impediment to stumbling. He's talking about 
a spiritual clearing. He says he'll send Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the sons and the sons to the father. In other words, he'll bring the family together. But notice Jesus Christ said he didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword. But he does bring peace to his people. If we keep reading and looking at this, he says great peace. So the word either draw, <coughs> drive you or draw you. Esau had all of the wealth that he could use, even though he sold the blessing, the birthrights. <clears throat> when Jacob returned, Jacob tried to bribe him by sending a lot of gifts to him and hiding his Rachel, his other wife, at the back of the caravan, putting Leah and her sons and things at the head and thinking that the gifts would appease Esau. And he was afraid and he slept away from the rest of them that night. When Esau did come, Esau embraced him and, and, and received Jacob. And you've noticed after then it wasn't any animosity. And Jacob was trying to give him the gifts. He says, no, I don't need those. I have plenty. So I don't know. We don't see here any more conflict between Esau and Jacob. After then, they buried their father, which the old guy Isaac, he was at the root of the problem because he, that's one thing about faith in God. We have his word, but when we read and study the Bible, we look at it from a television perspective. The things happen just right then or what's going on or whatever. If they knew in the hour and the time and the minute that when God spoke all of these things, that it was going to be over a period of time, a length of time, that... Maybe, what's the name, Rebecca wouldn't have done what she'd done and tricked Isaac with Jacob' cunningness to go in and steal that birthright dressed as a, because she was dead when he came back, so she never saw him anymore. Right. Her trickery caused her, that in that time period, she died. She never saw Jacob anymore. Isaac, he says, so he could eat his venison and bless him and die. Well, you old coot, it's 20 years later. You're still alive when Jacob come back because the two of them bury him together. So it's not in a vacuum what happens in life. And like the peril that Job went through, a lot of people act like it happened in one or two days. And from all of the things I read and study or whatever, it may have been over 10 or 15 year period that this transpired with Job. So we see God removing the stumbling blocks and making a clearance. And we see throughout the, the Bible, there would be no impediments for us coming to God, that he would clear the highway. He would make a way to us, to, to holiness. And everybody said, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Jesus' last act was to clear it, cleansing of the temple of the money changers. He cleared out everything out of the temple. He cleansed the temple so that the people that really wanted to worship, it was illustrative, a metaphorical of him cleansing the temple so that the true worshipers could come in and worship. He always talking about the highway of holiness and no fool shall err in. So into the house of God, we see in Revelations, one of the last things that he does is clear the impediments to religion. Mm -hmm. If you look at the five churches there, 
There's seven discussed, and of those seven churches, five of them he tells to repent. Uh, he's going to fight against them. He has to turn things away and out of that because it's a lot of people in the church now that would cause us to stumble. Not not that God's people, and we should go study that later on in the rest of this chapter, where they could be wealthy, and as you were saying, God can give you finances at any time. I don't know if you were expecting the checks from, I don't know if they were just gifts that come from nowhere, but sometimes those things may have just came at a, a, a opportune season, hmm. the time of your desperation or whatever. But God's going to bless his people. We're going to see him showering his people with blessings and that the earth is going to be cleansed because of his word, us fret not thyself because of evildoers. But we see some of the righteous being moved out of the way because sometimes I always pray to God and I'm always asking him to be merciful to me because I could have been a stumbling block, a, a cause of stumbling to my children because, like I said, for the first 10 or 15 years of our lives, I had left out of this very church. Didn't come back until some 20 years ago, uh, 10 or 15 years ago, for Washington time. We've been here, you've been here, me and you have been together, what, eight, nine years here? Yeah. So I've come back. Hopefully during that time, my absence from the church or whatever hadn't allowed for a lifestyle to form in there minds and hearts of stumbling because there's a lot of people say, well, they was raised in the church. Their parents are going to church. Well, that's a little bit different. So I hope I hadn't been a stone of stumbling uh, offense and I asked God to be merciful to me. So we can see things that cause stumbling or that uh, impediment, that word stumbling, you can use it different ways at different th times to apply. Because when I was telling you about Peter, when he's saying the hindrance, Peter was a hindrance to him. He was uh, trying to be an obstacle because he was trying to deter him from the cross. Yes. So there are others with conversations and language that can deter us. <coughs> Balaam, you remember we talked about Balaam. <coughs> Listen at this, because that's why I say a lot of times we're not looking at the Bible in a metaphorical sense of how it is implied. Balaam and Balak and Moabites and everything, all the way back when it was Exodus. Uh, we see where Revelation 2.19, listen at this. This is one of the churches that he's talking about. This is the church at Pergamos. He says, because I have a few things against you. Because you have there some among you within that church who are holding to the corrupt teaching of Balaam. Here comes Balaam's name again. Balaam. Mm -hmm. And then Judy says, there are men of old ordained unto this condemnation that had crept in unaware. That's why we have to watch old sayings and what people are saying or whatever because <clears throat> even though it may be our parent or somebody, sometimes older people, what they're saying or doing can corrupt you or can change you or whatever. Mm -hmm. My daughter was asking the other night about one of her sons was saying, well, Mama, well, where is Santa Claus? I, I don't understand Santa Claus or whatever. Where he put all them toys that he had? Where he stole all them toys that he had? And he says, I went over here, there was a Santa Claus. This was a brown Santa, and this was a white Santa, and this was a different Santa. 
about the different silence. And about a year or two ago, I know those two ladies on Fox or whatever, <clears throat> one lady was mad at the other lady saying that Santa Claus wasn't black, that Santa Claus was white. And here they arguing over uh, what is a, a fictitious, uh, of, uh, someone that, that's not real anyhow. Whether he's white or black. Well, I think if we imagine in Santa Claus someone that's equivalent to Jesus Christ, because Santa knows all. Santa knows when you're good or bad. Santa could do all this. Santa's a type of Jesus Christ or whatever. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows all these other things. And, you know, that my grandson, he would want to know how Santa getting into the houses. He creeping <laughs> what's going on. But that you can't close that inquisitiveness about it. God has placed that in some of us. So they're disputing about Santa, all of these different things. But we're talking about something, sure, a doctrine or a teaching that can't change the teachings of Jesus Christ. You remember I was telling you about precepts, statutes, and decrees. And that's what we have to base life on. We know we have television and entertainment, but we have to just say, well, that's just television and entertainment or this just something. And maybe she should tell him some of the things that because you don't want to say, well, mama lying or daddy lied about these things or whatever. This was a way of explaining these things. But listen, let me keep going here. You have those, the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel enticing them to eat things that had been sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of sexual immorality. So there are different people in different times. You try to have your children not associate with different people or whatever because they say those friends of yours could give you a bad attitude, bad company, corrupts good manners. They tell you or teach you a different thing, and now that we're interconnected as a world of things, we're learning different things that we shouldn't or whatever. And what that does is cause others to stumble. That's why James said we shouldn't be of many masters or many teachers. But are we taking those Bible teachings and are they truly going in the foundation of our lives? Are we assimilating those things? Is that becoming part of our character? Or do we hear the Bible or whatever and we intellectually know what it says but we're not applying it in our lives it's it's we're not assimilating that into our being and that it's not giving us life because if you assimilate it into your being the precepts and the things of the word of god it becomes who you are it becomes your character it puts the old man to death that's why it says when the word became flesh, Jesus was that word. So Jesus existed all the time. But when he came in, in a body as a man, he came, the son was given. <clears throat> but since he walked in obedience and, and, and faith in God through grace, that it was given to him without measure so that he could please God. So he's our example. If we take the word of God, and literally believe it, walk it, live it, and obey it, there would be no occasion of stumbling in us. Now, it's going to cause divisions. It's going to cause problems. Sometimes it's going to cause your wife, uh, your husband, your children, or your parents, or some people to be so upset with you. 
but are you strong enough to let them be upset and put it in the hands of the Lord and let him work it out? Or do you go back and compromise and apologize for the times you were right and uh, you were of God in these things and you remain firm and stable in it and that you allowed it to work on their conscience of their being that they would have to come and that would, because if you don't, if you compromise there, then the cross is no effect because that person has to take up, if that becomes a cross in their life, that's a stumbling block. That's why it says Jesus Christ has become a stumbling block to some, a rock of offense, because the word of God, it cuts, it's divide, it cuts to the marrow of the bone, but we know it's right. That's the plumb line. You have to line up with the word. So you have to belly up and walk with this safe. It it brings you into holiness. It cleanses you. It purges you. It makes you who you are. So think about that. Those who place them, the stumbling block of those impediments in the way. And that's why I say, I, I, I be, I'm a cause of stumbling at some time. And that's why I say, you could be a, a source of stumbling at times. And it could be like Hebrews 11, when it says, lay aside every weight and sin that's besetting you. That's why we have an advocate with the Father. Because we will sin, we will do things that we have to come back and say, well, I'm sorry I shouldn't have did this, and we seek forgiveness or we seek guidance, and we have to submit to one another. Because I was ready to, you know, I was looking at things, I was ready to tear down the wall in the house and tear down the windows and all that. And my wife told me this morning before we was leaving, I was sitting there looking as I was getting ready to leave out one of my last talks. She said, now, don't make the project too big. Because that's one of my shortfalls. I sometimes make projects too big and maybe don't even complete it. I might have to call somebody here. And, uh, you know, sometimes you can go. So we have to listen at all things, all input. That's why I say, even though it's my grandson or whatever, I say, well, don't just cast aside what he's saying or whatever. Mm-hmm. When they come to the house sometime or whatever, he said, well, make sure you hang those keys up on the key hanger or whatever. Or put the shoes where they go right here at the shoes thing. But it was her looking around for her keys and everything. And I'm like, well, if you listen to that practice, hung them keys up when you went in there, you wouldn't have the problem. So we can learn from all people or all things or whatever. <clears throat> but woe unto those that cause you to stumble. That person that uh, what becomes that object. That's why when Jesus told Peter, says, get thee behind me, Satan, because you are offense unto me. Because what he was saying was to go around with God's word, say, compromise God's word. He's, Matthew 18, chapter 6 to 11, verse says, Woe, judgment is coming to the world because of stumbling blocks and temptations to sin. So he's saying everybody in the world is going to be judged, but you can be judged according to your deeds. Whether What motivated you to do what you did? What was the intent of it? All of these things, because you remember the great white throne, white throne judgment, and you will be judged according to your deeds, and what you have sown, that you shall reap. What a man sown. So God 
it's the only one that can bring that judgment to know whether it was intentional what you was doing and why you did it. As Joseph, when he started being able to perceive and see things from God's perspective, he told his brother, he says, you did it for evil. You meant it for evil. You meant it for the wrong thing, but God meant it for good. God intended. So all things work together for good for those. That, so we could understand and see that that scripture should come to life in us, that we shouldn't complain or murmur because whatever happened, God's going to ultimately bring it to good. Yes. He could bring it to a good conclusion. It may mean, as Isaiah, we see the righteous pass away. We may have to die on that hill, but we die in faith. There are many people, if we look at the hall of faith, that died taking a stand for God and didn't compromise their values. Everybody in the Bible didn't come out a hero. Well, they came out a hero, but they didn't come out a live hero at the time. Samson is in the hero halls of faith. He could have made it suicide. He pushed that building down on himself, but he did kill more Philistines at that one turn than he did in his whole life. But it came on the heels of his disobedience to God of fooling with the Philistine women, of disobeying and telling of where his strength lies. So due to a woman, he was bald-headed and grinding in a meal, but God was sought vengeance. Samson prayed to him and said, grant him vengeance on his adversary at this time. So it lined up with God's word. and God. Woe because of stumbling blocks. And it is inevitable that stumbling blocks do come. That happens. They will come. And everything that causes to stumble may be a stumbling block, may not be intentional. Just because a woman dressed in a certain way, she may not be trying to lure you away or be a seducer, tempt you or whatever. If she's following in the lines of holiness, following in the lines of Sarah, as Abraham says, that a woman should dress with shamefacedness and sobriety. In other words, dress in such a manner that she don't cause the men in the church to lust after her. But that's kind of a personal opinion or whatever that comes to or what are your what are your preferences or what's your perversion. You know, you can't give account for perversion. So that's what I'm saying. We don't know her intentions or whatever, but we don't we do know some dress in a lascivious manner. The Bible tells us about lasciviousness. Dressing and in, in other words to entice. You know, a lot of women say she shouldn't have that on or she shouldn't be ashamed of herself. That's why it tells the old the women to teach the younger women. Because even men dress in ways to entice. So your dressing could be an offensive stumbling to others. And that's what we don't know about Bathsheba, whether she knew where David was looking or not. But the seductress or temptation is laying a stumbling block because now you didn't got that fellow drawn away from his wife and from his children. You didn't messed up a whole family or whatever. That life is destroyed or whatever. Those things happen, but sometimes some people could be minding their own business. I, I wasn't dressing to entice you. You just was a lustful creature. You know, you may just lust after pregnant women or something, or lust after big women or little. It, you know, so, you know, I, that's why I say I can't give account for personal fetishes or different things, but 
God judges all that. That's why he tells us not to judge on outward things because there's one that judge it all. But believe me, every every idle word that you say, you have to give account for. Whether it was a seduction in text messages or whatever over the telephone or what you say or whatever. You have to give account to accounting of those words or whatever. But woe unto the person who's uh, on account to whom the stumbling comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, a sin cut it off, uh, or wherever the source of temptation is. So God tells us in life, and that's why I say we have to seek God, and he's clearing the way for his children, and through prayer each day and praying that God go with you and lead you and be by your spirit, by you in the spirit or whatever, that way you don't have a reason to stick your chest out and to be proud. Abraham had nothing to be proud of or the glory in. God accounted because he believed God. God accounted that to him for righteousness. Yes. But he had pimped Sarah out several different times. Yes. He had put her right there in Pharaoh's tent. He lied and said that was his sister. He got all kinds of wealth. Pharaoh gave him all kinds of wealth. That He did it with Abimelech. So that time that Abraham wasn't entirely faithful, he stumbled. And if we study the Bible, God tells us this doesn't come overnight. That's why he says pursue holiness. We're, we will make mistakes. And even though we are born again or whatever, it's a tedious walk. That's why he says, if any sin, you have an advocate with the Father. That's why in prayer and everything, that's why I say, I pray for the things that I've done over the years when I was young and way back because I was the worst of sinners. If I look back at myself, I have nothing to be proud of. It's but by the grace of God, I am where I am and I'm going back. So all of those things, and I'm like Paul looking behind me, I was the chiefest of sinners. What I'm, I did, I'm ashamed of, and that's why Paul covers the, Paul says the blood of Jesus Christ, cover those things, forget what's back there. If today is the day of salvation, you walk as you born again and forget those things back there. God's not holding those. God wants you to walk forward in him. God wants you to be strong in him. So that which is offensive, you put the old man to death. As you grow in holiness, as you grow in the word, you'll see there. We, we, I told you to start this off that we're in the holiday season. Romans 14 and 13 says, Then let us not criticize one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle, a stumbling block, a source of temptation in another believer's way. So I'm not going to get into uh, back and forth with you about Christmas or the holidays or whatever. Uh, it was somebody the other day who was doing something, and he didn't want to say Christmas. He realized it not to say, because people realizing it, and that's what I say. We could tell people in society that that's God's people because you don't have to put your Christianity as a badge. Well, you ain't going to say Merry Christmas or this and that, that. It's Jesus' birthday. This and well, that, that, most of the time, those aren't the true Christians and they don't have knowledge. Well, if you strong enough, he says the strong should bear the infirmities of the weak. So if that's what you believe, I think that's the weaker believer who believes in that argument about Christmas and Jesus' birthday. 
as a strong believer, you can believe as you want to or whatever. If it brings you to the Lord, however it does. But that's no reason to put a stumbling block before you and try to disprove this to you. You have to be fully persuaded in your own mind. God has to be talking to you. So I can't make you weak as to that factor. And then you go against Christmas and everything. Now, you may not even believe in Jesus Christ because that was the only tenet that made you strong. And God would have showed you later on about this. He would have opened it up just like he opened it up to me. Just like he may open it up to my grandson. So I shouldn't shut him down at this time. I might address it to him as a five or six year old to where I don't lie to him, but that I would maybe fertilize what he's doing or saying. Yes, yes. Yes. The message of the whole verse is that stronger believers in the church should receive weaker brothers without disputing over doubtful things. That is, to doubtful things are essential to liberties. That is, non-biblical issues. Well, that's not a biblical issue with me about some of the things that people are, you know, people divide over the color of the carpet. Mm. People divide over the things going on in the church, and a lot of times uh, I say things that may be offensive to my wife or whatever. You know, she hates that when I say, well, okay, I'm sorry, or okay, or whatever. Say, well, you trying to be funny? Or no, I'm just saying, okay, I'm sorry. I, you know, that I did this. You might think it's being sarcastic or critical or whatever, but okay, maybe it slipped my mind. Maybe I asked you to do something I shouldn't ask you to do. It. I'm, I'm sorry. Now, the principle may go any deeper or whatever, but it says follow peace with all men as much as possible. Now, I've apologized. I said what I said, but what do you want me to do? You want me to pull out my heart? You want me to cut my throat or something? Some people you can't say you're sorry to. So when you tell somebody about happy holidays or Merry Christmas or whatever, it's not for us to argue over and get into some big religious spat about. Say so. People say one thing we don't take talk is politics or religion. Either you believe or you don't believe. So whether you're a Trump or a Biden fan, I'm not fit to get into it. About to get into it with you. That's why churches and things try to stay on the religious side, but we have to keep it real here now. We have to keep it real that it is vital as to what you believe and how you live and what you do, but as to who corrects you on that or whether that God shows you that or not, that's very that's going to be detrimental to your faith. Yes. Religion is. You better believe in religion. Yes. So one person esteems one day as better than another, while another person esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Uh, the young man that works for me off and on, whatever he came this morning, and I said, "What well, didn't I tell you that I, who goes to church on Sunday? You talking about coming on Sunday? I said, who goes to church on Sunday? I really throwed him for a loop there. Mm-hmm. I said, didn't I tell you I don't work on Saturday? Saturday is my church day or whatever. And he's like, you know, I'm like, who do you know who goes to church on Sunday? You, you told you that. So that really threw him for a loop or whatever. But I'm not about to argue Saturday or Sunday with people. 
we had one person, Brother Parker, I think it was, an older man, that was telling my brother about, yeah, at church day you have to pay tithes and all this. They take 10% of this. So my brother said, I don't know if we, I could go, you know, because of that, you know, at that time. That was years ago, you know. And Parker didn't died since then. And it's not the Parker that visits here either. Okay. But he could, didn't want to come. I said, well, have you ever heard me ask you for money? You, have you ever heard me say this? But he still wanted to go to church, and my other brother had told him that something had changed and something was different, so he started coming. Do you know now for the last four years that he's been in this church that he hasn't missed paying tithes? He hasn't missed paying time. He might have missed one time. You know, uh, my wife is a better tither than I do. I, no matter what kind of debt she gets in, the sacrifice is with the debtor. Sometimes she may risk with someone else or whatever, but I've noticed that she always pays her tithes. That's why Job was able to stand as he was standing because that couldn't be a cause of stumbling with him, but it was an offense. It was a stumbling of a very serious offense for Ananias and Sapphira. That's why God struck him dead. God shows that that is very serious. That's why a lot of people are in the financial condition they are today or whatever because they don't say, well, look, let me give God his what the problem I am, I need to learn to manage my money better. If you can't tithe, if you can't do tithes and offerings, that means you can't manage 90% of your money because that 10% tithe is not yours. That's God's. You're stealing that. And if you're stealing from God, read Malachi. It says, will a man rob God? You've robbed me in tithe. This time of year, what's going to cause a lot of church people, a lot of people to stumble. Not that it's not good intentions and they have good intentions, but it's idolatry, it's covetousness to buy all of those Christmas gifts and a lot of the children go play with the box or something else and discard those toys or put those toys to the side halfway during Christmas Day. But it's a lot of people going to get behind in their bills and everything and going to be in debt to February or March because of this one day. So you see where Christmas could become a stumbling stone or or a stumbling block? And that's why I say it could be a weight and not necessarily a sin. You see what's happening? That could be a a, a stumbling because this time of year, a lot of people may not pay God, but they're going to rob the church. That's going to be the first where they go for it. <sighs> he who observed the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While he abstains, abstains from the Lord. So this comes on the heels of God, of Paul saying that he wouldn't eat meat. And this was about meats offered to idols. So even food and eating can cause one to stumble, you know. Yeah talked about that Wednesday night or whatever about Islamic and different people that may eat pork and may not eat pork and that what Peter said but are we understanding what I'm saying that 
we, as we grow in the Lord and as the teaching go, you're able to teach others. And as a young Christian, you have a lot of zeal and you come out and you want to show all you learn and you come out with guns blazing. But then as you get older, it says the prudent keep silent. The prudent keep, the wise, I mean, I don't need to get in an argument or fight by that. If I'm led by the spirit, God's going to open up the day of the time for me to say something at the right time. If I really want to do right, just like Joseph was thinking privately to put away Mary, he's going to give me to say at the right time. Somebody's going to ask me of my input or whatever, because God's not the author of confusion. I'm not going to just get in something to say something. Now I'm in the biggest much argument as somebody else. They say, well, who asked you anyhow? So we don't want to get to that point. But we don't want to be complicit in others' sins. This was during the time of Jezebel, the time of the children of Israel had went astray, and Jeremiah was telling them about this, and that the women were saying, our husbands knew this, they was complicit in it. It's in the book of Jeremiah, the 44th chapter, 11 through the 19th verse. It says, Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I'm going to set my face against you for woe, even to cut off and destroy all Judah from the land. All those people in Judah, he says, and I will take the remnant of Judah who have decided to go into the land of Egypt to live there instead of surrendering to the Chaldeans as directed. So God had told them to go in captivity unto Babylon. If we see, that's where God says that he's going to send them to where they would stumble. But if they hold on to the word of God, hold on, but be obedient unto him to go through the suffering and in captivity that he's placing you in. But there was a remnant that said that they wasn't going into captivity. They fled into Egypt. They kidnapped Jeremiah and dragged him into Egypt. And God says he was going to search and destroy all of those. Sometimes God puts you, allows you to get into a bad marriage, to be in a difficult family, a bad family. Wherever God has you, he sees you. That's what you have to realize God knows where you're at because he put you there. The circumstances, the situations or whatever, but he put you there to overcome. That you would overcome obstacles of stumbling or anything that would cause you problems. So, as they went to the land of Egypt, he says, those that go in there, they will fall by the sword or perish by famine. From the least to the greatest, they will die by the sword or by famine, and they will become detestable, an object of horror, a curse, and a disgrace. For I will punish all the inhabitants of the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem with the sword, with famine, and with violent disease. So none of the survivors from the remnant of Judah who have entered the land of Egypt to live there will survive even though they lift up their souls in longing to return to Judah the place to which they long to return to, none will return except the few refugees. Hmm. Now listen at this. It says, Then all of the men who knew that their wives were burning sacrifices to other gods 
and all the women who were standing by a large group, including all the people who were living in Pathros in the land of Egypt, answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the word, the message, the prophecy that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we're not going to listen to you. But rather we will certainly perform every word of the vows we have made to burn sacrifices to the Queen of Heaven, that is Ishtar God, some call her Tammuz. You hear him weeping for Tammuz. He says, and to pour out drink offerings to her, just as we ourselves and our forefathers, our kings and our princes did in the city of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food and were prosperous and saw no misfortunes. But since we stopped burning sacrifices to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we've lacked everything and we've been consumed by the sword and by famine. And said the wise, when we were pouring out our drink offerings to her, was it without the knowledge and approval of our husbands that we made the cakes the shape of the star to represent her and pour out those drink offerings? In other words, our husband was willing combatants in this. They supplied the money. They helped rob the funds. They did all of this. They were with us in that. If we want to celebrate these pagan holidays, that's why I say if somebody has it set in their mind about Christmas and Easter or whatever, well, to be at peace, do what you want to do. If you want to celebrate it, do it. I'm not going to be a part of it. I'm not going to steal God's money. Now, if we don't have enough money to do it, this is what I have budgeted. You can do or we can spend what we need to spend, but I need to stay on budget. If budgets could divide the family and the home, you become a stumbling block. As Job told his wife, you become a stumbling You don't sound like my wife, so stay on course. If it's the husband, he want to spend money on outrageous things or whatever. Well, if I get tied up in something on the house, on that wall or whatever, well, didn't my wife warn me? Mm-hmm. No, I didn't got things all out of kilter. I said, well, honey, I got to take the money and do this. Well, she would be saying, you know, my wife has stood behind me on a many a crazy thing that I done done, and I think about it years later. Man, that was great. I wish she'd have just made me take the money and do what, what was necessary at the time or whatever. And that's why I say I pray because I've made many mistakes. I've made many bad decisions, and I admit it, I pray to God. So what happens is if you know it's wrong to him that know that this is wrong, it is sin. Whatever is not of faith is sin. I don't have any faith in this holiday, so you're trying to make me celebrate or do something. That's why they say if you make a person do something against their conscience of their will, they still are the same mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How you going to force somebody to do something? I was watching a, something the other night or whatever, and, you know, sometimes I laugh with the bad guy laughing because I look at television as entertainment, and I'm looking at it from an open perspective as what God's giving me spiritually in this. Now, this woman on this show found she's become a worse devil than the devil that had captured her. She got this man tied up in the basement, and she's more a slave to him. So that's what it is in not forgiving someone. 
the girl was saying, you living in a terrible condition, if you living this over and over, sometimes that's what we do. We get tied up not forgiving people and move on with our lives. Mm. Instead of her moving on with her life, she's really in a pimple here. He's so messed up and he's so entertaining and he's so crazy that he forced her through different things to say, he said, now you say, I love you. I love you. If you have to force someone to say that, if he had to force her to say that, isn't it just saying that? It's like what the young people have did today with casual sex. It's just sex or whatever to them. Sharon Stone had something in the news yesterday or today or something said she knew five different men that want to sleep with her or whatever. She's a woman. It's an animalistic urge. It's probably millions of people that would just sleep with anybody. It's just like animals out there, but you're taking away the sacredness of what this institution or what it is. Do God, you have any, do you see any command in there where it says, Wives, love your husbands? No, it's not in there. It says the older women should teach the younger women about the home and the love. But do you notice the command is continually there? Husbands, love your wives. Because it's designed, if that woman loves you, it's shown, it's there. But once she says she don't love you, that's an unconnectable connection. Once it's over with, it's over with. It's just the way, that's why I say psychologically, God has certain things. So when he makes man the over the home, he makes man the head. And if Jesus Christ is your head, he lines the home up with the man. And the woman lines up in that role that she takes or whatever as is under God. And But if the husband's not taking the role of the husband and the wife is doing things. And I've seen that with my mother. If the man's not strong in doing his role, he becomes a stumbling block. He becomes a rock of offense because now she has to be in his role making those decisions or whatever. And when you look at your daughters and sisters and mothers and things, that's a horrible thing that the man is not being the man to make the decision and she would want him to be the man because other than that, it's a perversion. But to walk in that, that's what I say. The Bible says a lot of things, but we make it a stumbling uh, offense by doing something to be opposite to God. And that's why I say it's a hindrance. Sometimes it's an obstacle. Sometimes it's an impediment. God moves those things out of the way because there shall be nothing in the kingdom that offends. He say, offenses shall come, but woe unto him whom those offenses come. So when he said that one among was a devil, Judas enjoyed prosperity. Judas probably wasn't seeing a lot with the rest of them. When he sent them out two by two, Judas perhaps cast out devils and did all those things. But he couldn't change the fact that he was a devil. Mm, yes. Christ didn't try to persuade him or change him. You see the Pharisees. He never said, okay, let, let's just compromise here. Unless 
did you, did he say that or did he say whoa and he calls them vipers and he said he says be aware of the living of the Pharisees because doctrine, like we said about Balaam here, that doctrine's been around and that's what was prevalent in Jesus' day and at the time of Noah was false prophets and false teachers and that's why he says beware because it's stones of stumbling. It's a way way of offense. Uh, I don't have time to go in all into this about the eating or whatever. We're going to take one last thing here before we close it down for the day. Do make it a short day. People. And I told you about different spirits or whatever. First Samuel have a curious verse here. And it, the commentary went way different opinions and things here. Why did Saul say this? First Samuel 18th chapter 20 through the 29th verse. It says, and Micah saw Saul's daughter loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. She loved David. By loving David, that meant she would have did anything for David. Remember, she lied and said that David was in the bed, and she deceived the uh, father when they came to kill David. But Micah was kind of a promiscuous woman. She did idols and everything. And Saul said, I will give her to David, will give him to her that she may be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. They say, well, maybe it was because David was going to have to get a dowry, 200 skins of the Philistines for the dowry for his daughter's hand. But you remember he had did that once before and he gave him the other daughter. But do we see or not that he says she may be a snare or stumbling. See, that word snare that can be used to cause him to stumble. That's what happened with Ahab when he married Jezebel, the Phoenician. She was the queen of Tyre. Her father was the priest of Tyre, I think, in a Phoenicia, uh, but Sidon and Tyre. But Jezebel... Well, Ahab was already bad, but Jezebel, they say Ahab did more evil than the rest of them because she was a snare unto him. Some women can be a snare unto a man, or some women could be a benefit unto the man. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> here in TV again or whatever, this guy Mudro, uh, Nick told Mudro on Grim or whatever that this girl that Mudro liked caused him to go back into what he used to do and eat meat and different things that he didn't eat. He said, well, maybe she might not be the woman for you. (laughs) There's a lot of times, remember I tell you with marriages and different things, some women could be a snare or some women could be a conflict to you. And I think about that, you know, like I say, a lot of times my wife comes to mind when I think about women and other things or whatever. Michael was a snare to do your wife, you know, you have to look at your wife. A woman can tear down a home, or a woman can build up a home. And Proverbs tells us about a woman tearing down her own home. 
and by not doing things. Look at Proverbs, the 31st chapter of Proverbs. Let's compare Michael being a snare unto David. He gave Michael to David to be a snare. You remember, she was envious and mad at him because when he was dancing before the people, and he said, you embarrass yourself, the king out there dancing. And that's when David spoke a curse on her and said she wouldn't have any children or whatever. Micah. Uh, but anyhow, let's look at the Proverbs woman here that wasn't a snare. The 31st chapter of Proverbs, the 10th and 13th verse says, An excellent woman, one who is spiritual, capable, intelligent, and virtuous, one who is he can find. Her value is more precious than jewels, and her worth is far above rubies of pearl. The heart of her husband trusts in her, that is, he with secure confidence in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She comforts, encourages, and does him only good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her, and willingly with her hands in delight. I didn't, I, I didn't go through the whole chapter here. It goes on all the way through Proverbs. The 31st chapter, talking about how she provides for the workers of her home, her children and everything, how she dressed her husband in finery. Yeah. 23rd verse says, her husband is known in the city gates among when he sits among the elders of the land. In other words, when he goes out or whatever, he's not just dressed any kind of way. She makes sure he's dressed nice. She makes sure... All of these things are taken care of. In other words, this is a woman that's proud of her husband, her kids. She's a hard worker, industrious. She gives him a reason for being. Now, Proverbs, Solomon talks about a bad wife. One that's a nag, he says, it's better to dwell in the corner of the rooftop of the house than what a nagging woman is like a drip, drip, drip. It's always this and always that. God is the one that said it's not good for man to be alone. But is she a cause of stumbling to you? Job says, you don't sound like my wife because you're telling me to curse God and die. Hmm. Many a time my wife hasn't been feeling well or whatever, but she's right there in the church, right? So that's where uh, the pastor expects his wife to be behind him. A man, when I was watching hearing on TV again, this guy, he said that he felt he couldn't do anything because his wife was believing in him. And when his wife didn't believe in him, he, he said that he had lost all confidence in everything because it's not good for man to be alone. The woman completes the man, but the woman can be a snare. There's a lot of women during these holidays. If the man say, honey, we can't afford it, we can't do this, or we shouldn't do this, her pride or outgoing or whatever shouldn't be to the children or anybody else. I remember Brother Armand was saying the direction is that God comes first, your wife comes second, your children come third. So your spouse comes second, and... I tell my children, I say, well, let me, don't y'all say things about your mother or this and that because, you know, the, we're one person and I shouldn't be making her feel bad or whatever with the kids or anybody else. Your children are a product of you and your wife. 
So, but if she's a snare, she's a drag. If the husband's a snare, a drag, there's a lot of people. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were saying that the father didn't work or whatever. Well, that's a stumbling block there. That's going to be a problem rearing the children. If the father is not a manly man, it's going to reflect in his sons. It's going to reflect, as Proverbs tells us, if you read the Proverbs and I, as a church policy, not it's not it's just that I have it in there. I ask y'all to read Proverbs once a year. Yep. Pick a month with thirty-one days, and each day read a chapter. That's why we have churches, and God made churches central, because if you're not walking in the Word of God, you will have occasion to stumble, and you will stumble. The Word of God gives us no occasion to stumble. I want to close this with right here. God, you wouldn't stumble. The book of Psalms, 119th Psalm, verses 165 to 168 says, Those who love your law have great peace. And you remember I said, that's where peace in Christ comes from, is through the Word. We see great peace in chapter 57 of Isaiah, in which we'll start talking about next week is peace. He says, nothing makes them stumble, those that are in the word and love the word. Nothing makes them stumble. I hope and wait with complete confidence for salvation. O Lord, I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. Hearing and accepting and obeying them, I love them greatly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies for all my ways are fully known before you. So that keeps a person from stumbling. The word of God is a preventative from stumbling. It it gives us victory walking in the word of God. First John, fifth chapter in the fourth verse says, for whatsoever is born of God, and I told you the Amplified said it a little bit different. It says, for everyone born of God is victorious and overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has conquered and overcome the world. Our continued persistent faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's why in Revelations he says, he that overcometh. So we have to be in the word and have the testimony of Jesus Christ to be one of those overcomers. Yes, we have to abide in the word. There's no occasion of stumbling in those of us who walk in the word, love the word, meditate in the word day and night. Heavenly Fathers, we come before you this